welcome everyone to Understanding the I Am That Is You podcast. Yay! Hey everybody, it's your girl Wynn. I pray all is well with everyone and your hearts and minds are full of love, joy, and compassion for everyone everywhere, all over the world. And without increasing knowledge and awareness of and personal relationship and attention to our own mighty I Am Presence, the Spirit of God within us, loving others becomes easier. But then those qualities of love, joy, compassion, along with loss of harmony, emanates effortlessly from within that loving environment we have created on the inside. Then we radiate that love and light naturally from within our beings, reaching everyone everywhere, all over the world and slowly but surely creating a loving atmosphere all over the earth. Amen. Let us all create a loving environment on the inside and give thanks and praises for love and life. And y'all be loved. The spiritual being of man. The soul being of man is not determined by the body alone. Man does not wander aimlessly and without a goal from one sensation to another, neither does he act under the influence of every casual incitement directed on him either from without or through the processes of his body. He thinks about his perceptions and his acts. By thinking about his perceptions he gains knowledge of things, by thinking about his acts he introduces a reasonable coherence into his life. He knows also that he will fulfill his duty as a human being only when he lets himself be guided by correct thinking and knowledge as well as in acts. The soul of man, therefore, faces a twofold necessity. The laws of the body govern it in accordance with the necessities of nature, but it allows itself to be governed by the laws which guide it to exact thinking because it voluntarily acknowledges their necessity. Nature subjects man to the laws of the change of matter, but he subjects himself to the laws of thought. By this means he makes himself a member of a higher order than that to which he belongs through his body. And this order is the spiritual. The soul is as different from the body as the body is different from the soul. So long as one speaks only of the particles of carbon, hydrogen, nitrogen, and oxygen which stir in the body, one has not the soul in view. The soul life begins only when within the motion of these particles sensation arises, and one can say, I taste sweetness or I feel pleasure. Just as little has one the spiritual in view when one considers merely the soul experiences which course through a man who gives himself over entirely to the outer world and his bodily life. Rather is this soul life merely the basis for the spiritual, just as the body is the basis of the soul life. The naturalist, or investigator of nature, has to do with the body, the investigator of the soul, the psychologist, with the soul, and the investigator of the spirit with the spirit. To realize what one is in oneself, and thus become clear as to the difference between body, soul, and spirit, is a requirement which must be demanded from those who wish by thinking to enlighten themselves regarding the constitution of man. Body, soul, and spirit. Man can enlighten himself in a correct way concerning himself only when he grasps the significance of thinking within his being. The brain is the bodily instrument for thinking. Just as man can only see colors with a properly constructed eye, so the suitably constructed brain serves him for thought, 
The whole body of man is so formed that it receives its crown in the organ of the spirit, the brain. One can understand the construction of the human brain only by observing it in relation to its task, which consists in being the instrument or tool for the thinking spirit. Many persons are inclined to undervalue thinking, and to place higher the warm life of feeling or emotion. Some, indeed, say it is not by dry thinking but by warmth of feeling, by the immediate power of the emotions, that one raises oneself to higher knowledge. Persons who speak thus fear to blunt the feelings by clear thinking. This certainly results from the ordinary thinking that refers only to matters of utility. But in the case of thoughts that lead to higher regions of existence, the opposite is the result. There is no feeling and no enthusiasm to be compared with the sentiments of warmth, beauty, and exaltation which are enkindled through the pure, crystal-clear thoughts which refer to the higher worlds. For the highest feelings are, as a matter of fact, not those which come of themselves, but those which are gained by energetic and persevering thinking. Man does not perceive the manifestations of the life force through the ordinary senses. He sees the colors of the plants, he smells their perfume, the life force remains hidden from this form of observation. But the ordinary senses have just as little right to deny the existence of the life force as has the man born blind to deny that colors exist. Colors are there for the person born blind just as soon as he has been operated upon, in the same way, the life force, as creating the various species of plants and animals created by it, is present to man as an object of perception as soon as the necessary organ unfolds within him. An entirely new world opens out to man through the unfolding of this organ. He now perceives, not merely the colors, the odors, etc., of the beings, but these beings themselves. In each plant, in each animal, he perceives, besides the physical form, the life-filled spirit form, in order to have a name for this spirit form let it be called the ether body, or life body. To the investigator of spiritual life this matter presents itself in the following manner, the ether body is for him not merely a product of the materials and forces of the physical body, but a real independent entity which first calls forth these physical materials and forces into life. One speaks in harmony with spiritual science when one says, a mere physical body, a crystal for example, has its form by means of the physical formative forces dwelling within it. A living body does not have its form by means of these forces, for in the moment in which life is extinct in it, and it is given over to the physical forces only, it falls to pieces. The ether body is an organism which preserves the physical body every moment during life from dissolution. In order to see this body, to perceive it in another being, one requires the awakened spiritual eye. Without this, one can accept its existence as a fact on logical grounds, but one can see it with the spiritual eye as one sees a color with the physical eye. One should not take offense at the expression ether body. Ether here designates something different from the hypothetical ether of the physicist. One should regard the thing simply as a name for what is described here. And just as the physical body of man is constructed in conformity with its set task, so is it also in conformity with the ether body of man. One can understand it also only when one observes it in relation to the thinking spirit. The ether body of man differs from that of plants and animals through being organized so as to serve the requirements of the thinking spirit. Just as man belongs to the mineral world through his physical body, he belongs through his ether body to the life world. After death the physical body dissolves into the mineral world, the ether body into the life world. Theosophy, by Rudolf Steiner
Isis Unveiled, Chapter 12 Esoteric philosophers held that everything in nature is but a materialization of spirit. The eternal first cause is latent spirit, they said, and matter from the beginning. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was God. While conceding the idea of such a God to be an unthinkable abstraction to human reason, they claimed that the unerring human instinct grasped it as a reminiscence of something concrete to it though intangible to our physical senses. With the first idea, which emanated from the double-sexed and hitherto inactive deity, the first motion was communicated to the whole universe, and the electric thrill was instantaneously felt throughout the boundless space. Spirit begat force and force matter, and thus the latent deity manifested itself as a creative energy. When, at what point of the eternity, or how? The question must always remain unanswered, for human reason is unable to grasp the great mystery. But, though spirit matter was from all eternity, it was in the latent state, the evolution of our visible universe must have had a beginning. To our feeble intellect, this beginning may seem so remote as to appear to us eternity itself, a period inexpressible in figures or language. Aristotle argued that the world was eternal, and that it will always be the same, that one generation of men has always produced another, without ever having had a beginning that could be determined by our intellect. In this, his teaching, in its exoteric sense, clashed with that of Plato, who taught that there was a time when mankind did not perpetuate itself, but in spirit both the doctrines agreed, as Plato adds immediately, this was followed by the earthly human race, in which the primitive history was gradually forgotten and man sank deeper and deeper, and Aristotle says, if there has been a first man he must have been born without father or mother, which is repugnant to nature. For there could not have been a first egg to give a beginning to birds, or there should have been a first bird which gave a beginning to eggs, for a bird comes from an egg. The same he held good for all species, believing, with Plato, that everything, before it appeared on earth, had first its being in spirit. H. P. Blavatsky This mystery of first creation, which was ever the despair of science, is unfathomable, unless we accept the doctrine of the Hermetists. Though matter is co-eternal with spirit, that matter is certainly not our visible, tangible, and divisible matter, but its extreme sublimation. Pure spirit is but one remove higher. Unless we allow man to have been evolved out of this primordial spirit matter, how can we ever come to any reasonable hypothesis as to the genesis of animate beings? Darwin begins his evolution of species at the lowest point and traces upward. His only mistake may be that he applies his system at the wrong end. Could he remove his quest from the visible universe into the invisible, he might find himself on the right path. But then, he would be following in the footsteps of the Hermetists. That our philosophers, positivists, even the most learned among them, never understood the spirit of the mystic doctrines taught by the old philosophers, Platonists, is evident from the most eminent modern work, Conflict Between Religion and Science. Professor Draper begins his fifth chapter by saying that the pagan Greeks and Romans believed that the spirit of man resembles his bodily form, varying its appearance with his variations, and growing with his growth. What the ignorant masses thought is a matter of little consequence, though even they could never have indulged in such speculations taken a la lettre. As to Greek and Roman philosophers of the Platonic school, they believed no such thing of the spirit of man, but applied the above doctrine to his soul or physical nature, which, as we have previously shown, is not the divine spirit. H. P. Blavatsky
The I Am Discourses, Volume 13. Question, even if you calling with great intensity do not completely answer for the call which should come from each one? Saint Germain, if we could, I don't mean this in numbers, because we have to be careful, it is rather quality or volume. Now, you take the whole mass of humanity, and you take 55% of them. That would give the balance which we require. But at the same time, we do not require that 55% in numbers, we require it in volume of energy released. For instance, as soon as we have 600,000 who are earnest, loyal, and determined, I believe today as I see it, that sufficient volume would be released to hold that more than 51%, perhaps 53% of the volume for the whole of mankind. Do you not see how it is a magnificent thing beyond any concept of mankind in the world, to think that volume could be released by that number for the whole of mankind? It is a stupendous thing. But the great law of life knows this is the last opportunity for the earth, and unless the victory is won this time, well, the earth will have to experience the conditions, and the earth would largely become barren. Question, cannot we consider destructive individuals the same as we consider discarnate entities, as to free will now? Saint Germain, yes. Don't have any qualms of conscience, dear ones. When an individual has become wholly destructive, it would be a thousand times better to make the call and have them taken out of the body and stop that accumulation. You cannot destroy life, but you can stop further accumulation of that destructive thing that is causing that for them. Of course I understand thoroughly that those poor unfortunate creatures have believed the old foolish idea. Question, if each one of us would, three times a day, call to the presence and the great ones to release the maximum quantity of energy to us, so that we could pass it back again to you, would that not take care of that? Saint Germain, no. I would not attempt to do that, because it is too dangerous. One might do it for a time, then you might be off guard. I would not attempt it. Anyhow, it is not quite the correct thing, because mankind has to make the effort. You cannot just do a thing for someone, the law of their being is demanding effort upon their part. You can make the call, that is all right, but leave it to the great wisdom and power of life to render the service. Their own life stream has to have the expansion within itself from their own call. Beloved Saint Germain. I know you will all rejoice with me when I say to you, I have never in 300 years felt so encouraged, so rejoiced at the possibilities of achievement, even with that which has already been achieved. Question, can we call forth a temple of the great silence in Yosemite, into which you can focus your power? Saint Germain, dear ones don't you see, no one can possibly conceive what your call to life might produce. Don't you see? Not even we might, for the moment, know just what that great earnest, intense call to life might produce to bring into outer manifestation. How can you know unless you make the call? Even if you did not find the outer manifestation within a certain scope of time, still would that call, having gone forth, produce results beyond your fondest imagination. Therefore don't hesitate ever to make the call to life, which is your mighty I am, for any of these things that you conceive of. Don't you see dear ones, from the great law standpoint, you cannot conceive of a thing in the intellect that would not be possible of attainment. You cannot do it, it is not possible. Question. Let us make a written record of this while we are on the grounds, in full, specific detail, and will you focus the unfed flame within that to be maintained here forever? Saint Germain, we have already established the unfed flame here. We established that the other night. 
it would become visible when that is established. Question, when we look at the fireball, that must be a symbol of something. Could it stand for a symbol of gold in this valley? Saint Germain, it is a threefold symbol, first, of the radiance of gold underneath, then the purification by fire, then it represents the unfed flame in its fullness. Always qualify it as that, as you observe it. Don't you see there is no condition that would be for the perfection of mankind, that would not be possible of achievement. You know, sometimes when life chooses to become the operation of a place, that place is sometimes offered for sale, and life, being the abundance of all the money supply there is, would naturally produce it for the purchase. Again we come back to the same old point, why the absolute harmony is needed. Then these things can so much more quickly come about. Beloved Saint Germain. Thank you.